When you drive the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power, you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among all brands in the J.D. Power 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study based on 2019 models. See jdpower.com slash awards for 2022 details. Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to the Agile World Podcast, where we discuss customer experience, employee experience, and transformation in an agile age. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Center of Experience, a blueprint for creating an experience-led organization now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about keeping your company agile and the value of learning, iterating, and optimizing your business. Too many times, companies spend vast amounts of time and effort creating something that is either not exactly what the market wants or is not a feasible product or service for the company to offer as it grows over the long term. Instead, an agile approach of creating and learning while being continually open to change and improvement can yield the best results. Today, we're going to hear from someone who did just that and has uh, built a highly competitive product while inventing new solutions to challenges along the way. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome David Wax, CEO of Handwritten, a handwriting service for brands. First, why don't you tell me a little bit about what Handwritten does and uh, what need it fills? Sure, and uh, thank you, Greg, for having me on your show. It's an honor to, to be here. So Handwritten is actually my second company. The first one was a text messaging platform back, started back in 2004, I believe. And uh, at the time, texting was a big deal and sending messages was a lot, you know, was was a nouveau thing was before the iPhone. And um, when I sold that company in 2012 and worked for the new owners for two years during the earnout, I was thinking about what else I could do. And I realized that as great as texting is, um, there's so much electronic communication. Uh, there's texts and hundreds of emails a day received by every office worker. And then now there's Slack and Twitter and Facebook. And it all became kind of noise. So I thought, what could I do to make a product or make a service that allows your message to stand out? And as I walked around between my office and my sales people's offices and other people's homes and office, I realized handwritten notes are not only kept, but they're or are not only read, but they're kept. They're advertised or uh, showcased on the back of people's uh, bookshelves or magnetized to their fridges or just kept on their desk and lost in the pile of paper there. So I wanted to try to figure out how to. Um, automate the unautomatable of, of handwritten old-fashioned communication. And that's what handwritten is. We are, I believe, the largest pen-based handwriting service in the world today. Um, and we do this through kind of technology on both ends. On the front end, the user can upload uh, notes to write 
and enter notes tried via our iPhone app, Android app, website that allows you to send OneNote or notes in bulk. We also have uh, plugins for Salesforce.com, Zapier, uh, HubSpot, and an API. We're coming out with a Shopify plugin soon, but quite frankly, it, it can all be handled via Zapier if you want to integrate with Shopify. Um, so those are all the inputs on the platform and how you get notes to us. And then on the outputs, we use robots that we build in our facility in Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm happy to, I mean, that I think is kind of our agile story. Happy to talk about how we develop those robots. But uh, yeah. these are laser printed, uh, laser printed, or sorry, laser cut robots with uh, 3D printed parts, um, off the shelf components, et cetera, um, to create these uh, machines that hold real uh, pilot ballpoint pens and write out your notes at scale. Um, each robot can only write about as fast as a human, so we currently have 95 robots. And as we record this, COVID's going on, so we've taken a pause on building additional robots, but uh, we were building between one and two a week to keep up with demand. Um, well, these, these robots are all just kind of stacked in racks at our facility and... Uh, you know, um, they're just spitting out notes. And then when those notes come off the machines, um, they're stuffed in envelopes that are also written by robots. A uh, real stamp is applied, you know, a real forever stamp or uh, first class international stamp. And, and then your note is placed in the mail. Um, because we have the technology fully in house, we can quickly iterate and create new handwriting styles to match our clients if they want that, or even just include their signature. Um, in addition to writing the note, we insert clients' business cards, such as, you know, stand, whatever, regular business cards. We insert magnets. And then we have a full array of gift cards that can be added to any purchase as well. So if you want to add a Starbucks card or an Amazon card or Home Depot, we have all those in stock and we activate those cards and insert them um, along, with the, along with the handwritten note. So, yeah, that's, that's handwritten. Great, great. Well, yeah, let's uh, let's start out by talking a little bit about how you've maintained a, a, an agile approach with handwritten. So uh, what were some of the challenges early on and how did you solve for them? Well, the biggest challenge uh, was developing our own handwriting robot. When we started, we actually used an off-the-shelf offering uh, from a company in Virginia that, that provides what are called auto pens to government officials and that type of thing that want to be able to sign documents when they're not around. Um, those machines were capable of taking a note that was typed up in Microsoft Word and um, writing it out on a piece of paper, but the quality suffered. Um, anytime we needed a new font or handwriting style, we couldn't do that. We'd have to work with the company. And quite frankly, the biggest issue was working with the company. They um, I guess have certain licensing agreements in place or whatever that only allowed us to own so many machines. And this was seriously hampering our growth. Um, and then the, the robots themselves, the quality was not anywhere near the realism that I wanted to recreate. So that started us on this journey probably three to four years ago now um, of designing our own robot. Now, I have no idea, you know, when I started this, I had no idea how to do that. Um, I have a computer science background. I certainly don't have an electromechanical background. Um, but uh, I hired 
a engineering firm. We actually started with a, uh, a guy moonlighting from Jet Propulsion Lab. So I figured, well, if he can literally uh, <laughs> land a rocket on a meteor, he should be able to, or a rocket on a comet. I can't remember. He did one of the two. I, I yeah. thought he should be able to to make a handwriting robot for us. Turns out right. he was not the guy to do that. So um, we hired another uh, firm out of Mesa, Arizona, which was very close to us. And they provided us a proof of concept robot um, that was very expensive to build, but at least we had one. Um, and then the iteration process of trying to come up with a um, you know fully uh, optimized solution kind of kind of began. And what happened was um, when when this design firm provided us the first iteration of that robot, they helped me interview and hire a brand new undergrad graduate out of the Arizona State University. Our, our company is based in Phoenix, so ASU is a natural um, employment pool. We hired this kid and I told him at the time, I said, this will be the best job you ever have uh, with the most experience, the most exposure and, and uh, you know, um, most rope to hang yourself on. So he came aboard, started building these robots based off the spec provided by the engineers, and he had a background in 3D printing. And we started iterating, okay, what of these metal parts can we replace with 3D printed parts? And that started us down a journey where um, the very first part that we replaced, which was this metal box that, ha that housed all the electronics of the robot, that box alone on the robot, just an off-the-shelf box, that we'd have to drill holes in and, you know, create a place for a screen and that type of thing cost us $400. So the um, engineer came to me and he said, you know, we can replace the, the first thing we replaced on that machine was a, was that box. He said, we could 3d print that box. And I said, well, that's great. How much is the 3d printer? And I, and he said, it was $500 on Amazon. This was before we became, uh, you know, we have the same quality 3D printers that we have now, and I'll get into all that. So yeah. I said, okay, 500 bucks. And I said, and how much would, uh, would it cost in plastic to recreate that box? And he came up with the design. He said about $7 in plastic. So I said, sold. Let's get one of those 3D printers. And what that did was um, from the very beginning, we were able to not only make that metal box, but make a few other parts that meant with every robot we built, we more than paid for that $500 3D printer. And it also gave me a real itch with 3D printing. I thought, man, this is, this is going to drastically reduce costs and have other benefits. So just real quickly on, on the benefits. So prior to 3D printing everything, uh, which was also not the solution, and I'll get into why, but prior to 3D printing anything, we sent everything to a CNC shop. We actually use a company called Exometry. Uh, and Exometry is really cool. They take SolidWorks models, which are 3D models out of your engineering CAD software. They take those SolidWorks models, you upload them into Exometry, and they say, how many of each part do you want? You tell them how many parts you want, and they give you a price. Um, then, you know, a few weeks later, maybe a month later, the parts arrive on your doorstep kind of like the Amazon of 3D parts. And that's great. However, uh, anytime you work with a CNC, which is you know a milled 
basically you take a big piece of aluminum and you carve it down and you carve it until you have your piece. It's very expensive in quantity one. So the only way to get cost down is to buy 20 parts of the same, this, uh, 20 of the same parts at the same time. Uh, but when we're iterating these robot designs for one, even when you buy 20 of them, they're still really expensive parts. Two, I didn't want to outweigh the cost of 20 parts for, for, you know, every time we made a simple change. So by bringing it in-house and using 3D printers, we were able to iterate much faster. We also weren't so nervous to change the design because if we changed the design in our 3D modeling software and for whatever reason we were wrong, we were wrong. We were out yeah. like $20,000 or something crazy because we bought all these parts. So, um, so by bringing it in house with 3d printing, that was the first phase. Um, pretty soon we realized there were certain parts that weren't low, that were load bearing and we couldn't just replace them with a uh, $500 3d printer printed parts. So we moved up that curve and we bought a very, a few very, very powerful 3D printers called Mark Forged. And these 3D printers uh, are unique in that they don't make parts suitable for prototyping. They make parts suitable for manufacturing. So the parts that come off this crazy expensive 3D printer, uh, you could, I mean, it's, you know, there's a part. It's not a prototype of a part. It, it has all the quality characteristics uh, of, uh, actually, they compare the part quality to aluminum and oh. you know we were we were replacing aluminum parts with uh, 3d printed parts with the strength characteristics of aluminum uh, which was quite frankly a little bit we were oversold and we didn't need such an expensive machine but our first one we bought and it's great and then we've bought other mark forge that were slightly less expensive that um that 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 got the job done too, and we're no longer using those five hundred dollar printers. We're using some really yeah. great stuff. Um, well, yeah. So I I guess just to to follow on that, I mean, I think there's you know it's it's really interesting to hear about the you know the individual challenges that you were able to to overcome through creativity. Yeah. But the other thing I'd love to touch on is it's the the mindset, right? Yeah. So it's like, you know, I think it's, it's, and we'll get into this a little bit more about, you know, your, your background, you already said, you know, you're not a mechanical engineer by background, but yet you're able to do, um, you know, accomplish some, some really great things here. What's kind of mindset do you, you obviously have it yourself, but what, you know, how do you instill that in, in team members so that they can help you? You know, I think, there's, I call it, I say it's genetic. I say it's a figure it out gene and yeah. you can kind of see it in, um, I've had a few employees that just have it and you notice it on an interview. If you hand them a relative, what I think is a relatively simple Microsoft Excel question, you know, where you show them, you know, cell A1 uh, and sell B1, and to add them, you do um, A1 plus B1, and then you say, you know, but if I have John in cell A1 and Smith in cell B1, and I'm telling you the concat operation is an and symbol, how do you get John Smith? You can give them that simple question, and if they throw their hands up in the air and say, I don't know, um, yeah. 
yeah. then then you know they don't have the figure it out gene. And but if they sit there and they at least give it a shot, and it is a pretty. I mean, I, I ask this question in interviews, and it's not a hard. It's just they have to take the time to think, and I think Americans or maybe Western Westerners are so programmed to Google it or to just recite back rote memorization that they don't take the time to think and you have to be able to challenge yourself. And not every one of my employees has the figure it out gene, but I, the, I've been blessed to find several that do. Um, and it's really just, it's one of these things where if after a few weeks of interacting with somebody and they don't have the figure it out gene, you kind of have to stop expecting them to have it and put them in tasks that don't require it because otherwise you're just going to be super frustrated. But, um, but yeah, you know, it's just this, I'm a tinkerer at heart, um, a bit of a nerd and I'm not looking for nerds, but I'm looking for people that when, when I give them a question, they, they noodle on it and they don't just throw up their hands. Yeah. It's almost like a, it's almost a curiosity that, um, yeah, I totally, that's, I'm going to use your, your vocabulary, the, the figure it out gene, because I, I often struggle with that as well with, you know, in hiring the right people and just finding even the right teammates. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, let's um, switch gears a little bit. So I, you know, I referred to this earlier, you know, you started handwritten without being an, a mechanical engineer, you were able to, you know, figure it out um, to use, <laughs> to use your words. Um, and, you know, so I guess what's motivated you to like, why, why do that? I guess other than, other than curiosity and everything, I mean, what's, what's kind of motivated you to solve some, some pretty complex engineering challenges. And um, from talking with you earlier, it sounds like, I mean, not only have you solved some interesting challenges, but you've actually built a better product than, you know, mm-hmm. than ever existed. I, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that as well. Just, um, you know, what's, what's, what's the motivation there for something that really, you know, you, you could make the argument that, uh, you know, like a lot of people say, well, I'm not a math person or I'm not a designer or I'm not this or that. It's like, what, what kind of motivates you to, to do that? For me, th- this handwritten has been a labor of love. Uh, I would not say the financial benefits have come flowing in from this company. But I'm trying to develop a product that I would use and one where I can type in a note and select my business card and select a gift card and send it out to somebody, you know, saying, hey, happy birthday or whatever, and automate that through Zapier. That's something I would use. But I I would only use that service if I know that the handwriting is going to be maybe not perfect, but pretty darn close to perfect, where most people would not question if that handwriting is real. So really it's just come down to, uh, you know, and I, I, I was fortunate enough to sell my first company. So my financial, while I do want to certainly see financial gains from handwritten, it, it hasn't been this um, pressure on me to immediately turn around profits. So the, the main, the main um, goal here has been developing a perfect product, not, selling, um, and, and getting rich on, on handwritten. So, um, that's really been it. It's the frustration of working with our, these auto pen machines and not having them cooperate. And, you know, if the power went out, 
um, all the handwriting machines would just like, there was just a lot of stuff that would um, send these handwriting machines off into their own crazy town. So uh, having, having all the software in house and, and, and having it all work and at a scale of 95 robots, all, you know, they could all be controlled by a single command and told all to shut down or reboot or, you know, flash the software, all that type of stuff is just, it's an intellectual curiosity for me. And then also being able to pass the test and, and have these notes go out and, and people be thrilled by them and not think they're actually written by a robot and, and can't believe it. You know, that's really cool too. It's a, it's, it's just a cool, you know, it's like being able to turn your hobby of tinkering into a job. And when I like to tinker, um, it, it makes it makes work easier. Uh, there's yeah. still I'm not going to say easy because there's people issues and COVID issues and you know and we do want this company to be big and profitable and pay people a lot of money to work there and, and generate jobs. Um, but but the first thing was can we solve this problem of um, authenticity? And I think we have solved that. Um, That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so what what would you say you're most proud of then with with how handwritten? I'd say that the notes passed the test. Um, yeah. I'm also really proud of this robot. Uh, just real quickly, and I, I don't want to dwell yeah. on it. Beyond the 3D printing, we realized that wasn't good for everything. So then we moved to laser cutting too. So we've we've really learned the right tool for each job. And I'm not saying laser cutting and 3D printing is the end all for every business because if you're a realtor, you probably you know, like, what the heck am I going to use this for? But what's interesting about it is it's allowed us to recreate a manufacturing that's disappeared from the United States for the most part, or replace some very expensive um, CNC milled parts with rather cheap, quick turnaround parts. And it's allowed us to iterate over and over. And being able to design these robots and make quick changes, you know, I can say to my engineering team, you know, when the pen is resting and it's not, it's not writing out a note, it's sitting there in this little cup pooling with ink. Can we design a better cup? And we just draw it out in three minutes. And then 30 minutes later, off pops one of those new cups off the 3D printer. And it's just, it's very, it's very gratifying to have that happen. You know what I mean? To, to be able to see your idea turn from, concept reality in 30 minutes or 33 minutes in this case. Yeah, no, that's, that's really cool. Um, so I guess, um, you know, what advice would you have for people that, you know, they have a great idea, but they may be hindered by those, those blockers that, that we talked about earlier, you know, whatever that may be, it's lack of technical knowledge, not thinking that they can do something because of, you know, because of their background or, you know, lack of education in a certain topic or something. It's like how, what would you tell them to, you know, to, to do to, to achieve their goals? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think me being a programmer might be a bit of a hindrance to this company. So sometimes when you come in and you actually know a little less, it might be better. The reason I say that is because I involve myself way too much in the nuts and bolts. Like I, I didn't build the robots, but I wrote all the software for those robots. And that is not the place where the president of the company should be. Um, And what's, what I think a better place is somebody, you know, there's a great book, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, and he talks about working in the business versus working on the business. And the idea is, as a, you know, you get into business, 
let's say as a pie maker, because you like making pies, so you want to open up your own pie store and sit there and bake pies. But as soon as you get into business, your job should not be making pies. It should be supervising people that make pies. So, you know, if you're looking to start your own venture, you, you shouldn't have to know how to make the perfect pie. You should just know what type of pie you want to make and be able to sit down and specify through a technical specification or an illustration even what you want done. And then thanks to the power of the internet, (laughs) you can pretty much find anybody pretty quickly. Um, For instance, with handwritten, we have a lot of developers um, for the non-critical part. uh, I dare say commodity part, which would be an iPhone app, Android app and website. You know, those are commodity skills. Right. And we hired those people uh, through Upwork, which is a um, online platform that connects you to freelancers all over the world. Um, so our our programmers aren't located in the states for those components, um, and it, it it's a cost savings measure. And it also just kind of, you know, I go to one person and I get that whole solution handled. I don't have to uh, herd cats and. And deal right. with a bunch of personalities. So, so that's um, so you can go on Upwork and you can find um, software engineers. You could find PR people. Pretty much anybody um, you can find on a platform like that. In fact, the engineers that ended up providing us the final design, um, I didn't find them through Upwork, but I found a guy on Upwork that referred us to them. So it, it you know it it really is a if you don't have the skills, but you have an idea, just draw it out and make it happen. Uh, through through my wife, she has another uh, product too. It's this uh, pet product. It's a mat that you place in front of the door. When the dog needs to go out, they step on this mat. You know, sometimes they don't make noise, the dogs. They'll yeah. stand by the door and wait. And if you don't get them in time, they'll make a mess in front of your door. So this is a... It's called the barking mat. It's a doormat that you put on the inside of your house. When the dog goes to the door, they sit on that mat. The mat could say, um, good dog, good dog, or it could just send a notification to your phone alerting you of uh, the dog needing to go out. That also was a agile process of figure it out, Gene, where we found a um, embedded processor designer we developed the prototype in the States. We took it to China. We didn't know anything about taking it to China. And now we know how to import products from China. And I would just say, um, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but um, when, I went, when I was in college, I was fortunate enough to be on this committee that planned speaking events. And Conan O'Brien was one of the speakers we brought. And I went out to dinner with him. And his words of advice to us was... Uh, always get in over your head. So maybe always get in over your head is kind of the same thing as have to figure it out, Gene. But just don't be afraid to tackle the problem yourself. I think most people, if they open themselves up to failure and they're willing to try, they can get to the solution. But so many people get paralyzed where they, maybe I'm misinterpreting paralyzation for lacking the gene. But um, yeah. You know, I think I think people just need to take that leap, and they need to give it a shot because so many resources are out there now to be able to get a product manufactured in China without ever stepping in China. Yeah, no, that's great. I and I, I love that advice, and I to- couldn't agree more. 
Well, uh, David, thanks so much for joining the show. Um, for those listening, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing and, and maybe connect with you? Yeah, on Twitter, um, I'm David B as in boy wax, W-A-C-H-S. Um, or uh, you can follow Handwritten. It's at Handwritten. Uh, and that's H-A-N-D-W-R-Y-T-T-E-N. Um, handwritten.com is our website if you want to try it out. Sign up. Don't use Facebook or, or, or Google, but just actually sign up and use the discount code podcast. That'll get you $5 off um, or $5 credit towards your orders. And uh, we're also, I'm also, you can catch me on LinkedIn if you want to do that. I'm just search for David Wax Handwritten. You'll find me. Well, again, I'd like to thank David Wax, CEO of Handwritten, for joining the show. Uh, to learn more about uh, both customer and employee experience, I recommend you go to my website at gregkilstrom.com and make sure to check out my latest book, The Center of Experience. More information is available on my website or wherever the book is available, like Amazon. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World Podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, the Center of Experience from my website at theagile.world or on Amazon or other retailers. Until next week, stay agile.